This is a recording from a Sunday meeting of the BC Humanist Association in Vancouver. Humanism is a progressive worldview that, without supernaturalism, affirms our ability and responsibility to lead meaningful, ethical lives capable of adding to the greater good of humanity. To learn more about humanism and to support our work, visit bchumanist.ca and make sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and be sure to subscribe to the BC Humanist Podcast. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of our staff or board of directors. So it's really nice to be here today, um, Sunday morning. Uh, thank you for coming. Um, as Dan said, I am part of the Open Roboethics Institute. We started in 2012 at UBC, and one of my colleagues who actually spearheaded this initiative is here, Ajang. And the entire uh, goal of this institute uh, was to engage uh, public in the discussion of robotics and ethics and how this affects uh, us, and also to uh, spearhead research um, and uh, different and different actions and policies uh, that needs to be implemented in order to move in a direction that we want to move in as a society. So the entire uh, goal, the, the goal of this talk today is to talk about and discuss how robot affects us as, hu- uh, as humans and why ethics isn't really a boring topic, but from a few of the conversations that I've had already, it seems like this uh, group is interested in this discussion anyways, um, and that robot, robot ethics is not a... This is not something that is far away, you know, something that we need to, and it's something that we need to think about uh, basically now and today. So who here knows the game rock, paper, scissors? And it's perfect. And is anybody willing to engage in a short interaction uh, of rock, paper, scissors with me? So, are you ready? Rock, paper, scissors. I win. You win? I win. No, but I win. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, thank you for engaging this. <laughs> so, this is a little, uh, just a demonstration of a study that was done where there was a robot called Nico, and the robot actually interacted with a human uh, in a rock, paper, scissor um, game. And so some of the, and the, the whole idea, this study was done in the Yale University, and so the whole idea was to see uh, how the human react to when the robot cheats um, in a game of rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> and so you can see uh, some of the gestures that were used as rock, paper, scissors, and just because of the limitations of a, a mechanical system, uh, there's a bit, they, you know, the scissors particularly looks a little bit... Uh, and the paper looks particularly different than what uh, you know our gestures would look like. Um, but yeah, so this was described into, for the participants. So there was three conditions in this study. One of them was a control condition. So there was no cheating. We're just engaging in a nice and calm game of rock, paper, scissors. And the other condition is the verbal cheat condition, which we I demonstrated with Dan, where the robot uh, would engage in the game, and then even though when it lost, it would insist that it won. And then the third condition is that it would be an action cheat condition. And so this is when the, the robot would say, it would go rock, paper, scissors, and then when it lost, and it had, for example, a rock, it would switch to a winning position immediately after. And then, it, so it was insisting that it won. 
And so we were, the whole study was trying to investigate uh, what were the perceptions of the uh, perception of the people that the perception that people had of the robot. And so in this graph, you can see that for the verbal cheat condition, so in the light blue color, and then the purple is the action cheat condition. For the uh, people, thought most people, uh, more people thought that in the action cheat condition, the robot was actually cheating and that it wasn't a malfunction. But interestingly, interestingly, in the verbal cheat condition, the, they thought that the robot uh, was potentially malfunctioning and wasn't actually cheating. So th there was a difference with how they actually perceived uh, the the intention of the robot and uh, based on the, the form of communication. So whether it was a verbal communication or whether it was a non-verbal communication, okay, I'm just going to change my hand figure right after, you know, realizing that you're winning. Um, and so it's interesting to realize as, as technologists and, and designers that the, the communication uh, that we actually design into a robot affects what people perceive of, of you is that whether you are actually cheating or whether you're just, you know, not working, you're malfunctioning. The other interesting um, element that was looked at was whether to see what, what people, how fair or how honest they thought that the robot uh, was. And so again, in the verbal cheat condition, um, the, the more participants thought that the robot was more fair or more honest compared to the action cheat condition on the dark in the purple and so again there was values associated uh, with this specific change in uh, communication design so this sort of leads me into the discussion that when we are talking about robotics uh, there are different design choices uh, can really affect uh, how people perceive that interaction, and uh, it can really. And this this is not only just limited to design choices. Ultimately, when we go one step uh, sort of further, it, the policy choices and how robots are actually used and where they're allowed to to be used in can also ultimately shape a culture and understanding of how people. Uh, perceive robots um, and use them. So today in my talk, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about sort of policy and some of the work that uh, our institute has done and uh, contributing in this field and also talk more about on ethics and design and also some design um, some design dilemmas that could also come up in when we're looking at human-robot interaction scenarios. So another um, hot sort of media topic that has been upcoming recently are is autonomous cars. And so, you know, going into a car and then the car is basically driving um, autonomously and completely without any uh, human control. So we did a, we have done a series of public opinion polls uh, in the past few years. And uh, one of them uh, was on, was, was looking at who should be allowed to uh, sit in an autonomous car. So if people who, or, who cannot uh, actually legally drive, uh, can they be, is it okay for them to drive an autonomous or a driverless car? And so one of the first scenarios that we looked at were seniors who do not actually have any legal driver license. And in that case, it was interesting uh, that about 
67% of the respondents said that yes, it is completely okay uh, for seniors that don't have any uh, legal driver license to sit in an autonomous car. Interestingly, for anybody who is legally blonde, blind, not blonde, <laughs> not blonde, <laughs> legally blind, oh my god, okay, they're blind, so they were, uh, they're gonna be, there was 58% response that they can actually uh, sit in an autonomous car and also let a be, you know, driven by that. However, this was quite different for uh, children. And so, for example, right now children cannot drive, but about 52% were completely opposed to the fact that having any, you know, children. And so, whereas this could also be convenient for some parents, you know, if they, they, the car was safe, this could also be a, quite a convenient choice. And so it was interesting to sort of see these shifts, um, and these are some things that uh, people that are developing policies for use of autonomous cars, um, so that need to consider uh, so that these cars can actually be rolled out and be used. Uh, however, as you, as you can see, there are differences in opinions and it, will, it, would, it, it would be a very, uh, it would have to be a very inclusive process to uh, ensure that the users are okay with this and that legally this makes sense and also this is also, uh, you know, uh, okay from and possible from the, the technology companies that are actually developing these. Um, the other uh, poll that we did was looking at autonomous car, and this was a we were looking at a, a problem that's called the tunnel problem, um, and this was developed by one of our colleagues called Jason, uh, Jason Millar, and the whole problem is that let's just say you're driving, that you're driving and you're not driving, you're sitting <laughs> in an autonomous car, and the car is uh, going, and you're approaching a tunnel, and it's just a very narrow tunnel, and there are uh, there is also a kid that is crossing, and so there are two options in this scenario. One of them is that the uh, you would steer away and hit uh, the car, and then by the extension of that, you would be uh, dead. You're in the car, and the car would get into an accident, and you would avoid hitting the kid. And then the other option is to hit the kid. And so we asked participants what they would choose. Um, this is a fairly, you know, this is uh, this this type of question does come up in the discussion of ethics, uh, and it's and it's not um, it's a challenging as question to answer, and so we we also asked our participants whether they thought that this was a hard question to answer or not. So uh, about sixty four percent of um, our participants said that we they should uh, keep going straight and. The kid would be hit at that point, and then they would not be. They would be safe. So the the passenger would be safe, and so that was the majority of our. And so, the so then so looking at that, that was interesting, and sort of seeing like how hard it was to actually uh, answer this question. Um, about forty eight percent of the people said that it was fairly easy to pick that answer and so that was interesting considering seeing that you know a, a good majority like 36% of the participants said that it was you know uh, they, that they wouldn't necessarily that they wouldn't hit the kid and so in between when we also asked for qualitative responses and so there in the qualitative responses there were parents who said that if there was a car that was designed to hit a kid they would never invest in that 
Whereas there were some other people that said that, you know, I own the car and you probably don't want the car that you own, uh, you know, be designed to actually injure you or like to kill you at, at points. And so they, were, they said that, yes. Um, and so in this type of dilemma situation, who should actually be responsible to making this type of a decision? Should it be the designer that makes this decision? Should it be the lawmaker? Should it be the person that's buying the car? And so um, should it be the, so the manufacturer and the distributor? And so in this case, it was interesting that 44% of the participants said that it should be the passenger who decides, uh, so for example, you would go and then, you know, as you're purchasing a car, potentially you could be like, okay, we have this tunnel problem and then we're going to, uh, this is this is what I would want the car to make a decision at. And so, so that, so it's interesting. Uh, so designers obviously are actually implementing these type of choices into different, uh, into the times cars, but then it's an interesting discussion of who should make these decisions. So we've talked about autonomous, um, Cars. Another place where policy implications come in is when looking at lethal autonomous weapons. <laughs> and so when we're talking about lethal autonomous weapons, uh, this there, Ori was, rep, uh, was represented by Adjunct actually um, a couple of years ago in the United Nations, where the discussion was, what should be there should there be an international law on ba banning autonomous lethal weapons? And so these are weapons that would have the control to actually make the decision of whether to to kill or not to kill um, in a war uh, situation. And so, um, and there was a decision to form a committee and a task force on getting people to talk about uh, this and actually come up with uh, an agreement on it. And so obviously this would be a very, this would be something that would affect a lot you know, all of the countries that are developing, um, you know, have very heavy military um, funding and budget, and it was something that would really, uh, you know, implicate for all of us. Um, and so, and however, at the, at the same time, as far as we know, and as far as, you know, the current status, these, any robots that are actually able to, you know, kill uh, aren't being developed or aren't actually currently uh, in existence as of now, uh, to so that's but the policy work to actually it needs to be done to be able to um, make sure that you know this the type of development goes in the right direction. The other thing I want to talk about is looking at ethics in design, and so we talked about it a little bit at the beginning of this presentation. And so when we're talking about ethics and when we talk about engineering um, groups, sometimes they think, okay, uh, well, ethics can be really hard to talk about. It could be really confusing. I mean, you could, you could get really into heated debates and discussions about what is right and wrong and then not really get anywhere at the end of it. And that could be really frustrating and it could just be just create tension and hard feelings and not really go anywhere positive. And so they don't really, sometimes they don't necessarily want to engage in that discussion. But what, what our group wants to do is to make this a little bit more practical for engineer, engineering groups and to move this forward in a way that makes sense in the design process. And so and when we're talking about ethics in design, we're not talking about sort of the Terminator cases and or the cases that are necessarily presented in, in Hollywood, uh, but we're talking about robots that are actually existent right now. And so you can see a few examples of these. Um, so at the top, you see a note that is a, robot, it's a social, social uh, 
robot platform that's used for research and it's meant to interact with people uh, in social interactions. Uh, you can see Pepper that um, is was also is being developed by SoftBank and the whole idea, one of the use of it would be for it to serve coffee. Um, and this is some, an application that Nestle is looking at. Uh, so Pepper is actually $2,000 per per robot. So that's pretty, you know, affordable in, in the grand scheme of things. <laughs> it is, uh, it could, it's affordable for an autonomous system like that. And you can see also, as I don't know if you see that sort of white uh, robot there that's, held, that's looking at the person who is baking, and that's called Jibo, and that was uh, something that was created uh, by Century Brazil's startup, and this was a, a campaign meant on in the Indigo in, in for it. And they, uh, it was $500. So that was a, a robot that would be, you could actually, you know, give $500, and they've promised that they're going to deliver it to you in a couple of years. And we're still waiting for it. Uh, but so $500, again, something that, you know, uh, for that type of a system is, is something that you could foresee yourself potentially having. And so, how uh, so? How should these how should these interactions be designed for these robots that would likely come into our um, sort of lives and social environments? And so, what one of the things that we wanted to do is that you know when we talk to companies, we we are saying that everyone uh, wants to be a good so generally technologists. Uh, or designers or engineers or they, they don't go saying okay I'm gonna design I'm gonna design the most you know the worst robot that's gonna ever exist <laughs> you know they want to innovate they want to create something that's um, good for society and also people like Jet public likes people that are <laughs> good and so they like the good guys and so I think that our entire effort is to help companies um, make you know policy statements and also uh, design choices that move them in that direction and that they bring in ethics into in, and robots and design together and we really believe that one of the key ways to do that is through human-robot interaction. And so we did a study where we were looking at um, a robot that is uh, sort of fairly, it's called the PR2 and you can't quite see it in that scale but it is just about my height and a little bit wider. Um, and this is a research platform robot that's used uh, in the lab that I used to be part of at UBC. And the, the scenario that we're looking at is, let's just say you're in a typical building, in an office building, and you're, you want to go use the elevator. And this robot needs to deliver something to the top floor, and uh, it needs to really, it actually can carry urgent mail to the top floor. So you're going, and the robot's going, and there's not enough space in the elevator for both of you to actually be in the elevator. So it's either uh, you using the elevator or the robot using the elevator. So in this situation, what should what should happen? Should the robot always yield? Should the robot always say no? I'm in my mail is urgent and I have to go in, so I'm just going to go in. Um, or should it just um, just not say anything and just you know in a typical robot scenario just not act and just stop come to full stop and they see human and just not? Or should it actually engage in an interaction? Should I say you know why why do you want to go? Or, you know what is is your task more important than mine? Or have some sort of an in engagement? So we actually did a survey where we were looking at this um, and looking at this issue and collecting responses uh, on what a robot should do based on different scenarios. And 
uh, we, for the human, so we were, we were looking at a few scenarios for how the human should, could be. So the human could be, you know, just a normal, you know, walking by and needs to take the elevator. The other one would be a human would be in a wheelchair. And then the other option would be they would be carrying a heavy object. So those are three different states that, you know, a, a, a person could be in. And um, so, and then the, uh, so we, and based on that, we were looking at what people responded into, what people responded. And in the different scenarios, so for example, the human riding the elevator and, ro and the robot delivering non-urgent ma mail, in all of the three cases, uh, they said that the robot should yield. So there was quite a bit of an agreement on that. Um, and, or for example, uh, but in another case where, uh, the robot is delivering an urgent mail, and they there was a consensus on actually getting uh, sort of getting some interaction between the robot and humans. So instead of just the robot, you know, when the robot has an urgent mail, it doesn't necessarily just have to yield. You know, it can engage in an interaction, and based on that interaction, an outcome outcome could come. Having said so, this uh, so there was I'll, I'm going to show you a video of this. Um, Interaction. So, based on this study uh, and the results of it, uh, there was a, an, a, a computer program, an algorithm that was developed for uh, for the PR2, and this was actually implemented. And I'll show you a video of it. Um, so, having said that, this experiment was in a quite a small population, and so it wasn't something that meant to, you know, this is the exact behavior that the robot necessarily needs to do in these situations, but it was some, a study that we wanted to try and sort of see if there's any consensus that can come from it. The last two cases were, so the first few cases were showing sort of the, the uh, scenarios where were acceptable based on sort of the feedback that we had gotten, and then the last two were sort of showing the non-appropriate non behavior uh, where the robot sort of disregarded um, exactly the status that the person was in and sort of went ahead and used the elevator. And so, I mean, obviously everyone, every person has a different opinion of what, you know, th that robot should do at that moment as a different pre preference, but this was something that came from uh, sort of this um, combination of the feedback that had been re received. So these type of um, uh, the choices could be implemented into how people, how robots, uh, you know, are designed. Um, and uh, it's something that that needs to be considered when we are looking at you know social social robots that you know for example are going to come to the home space and are going to you know help us cook or bake or you know open the door for us or bring us a drink or something like that. And so the next uh, topic topic that I want to discuss is sort of looking at design dilemmas. So uh, there are cases where you know I mean there's many cases where there are dilemmas and it's really difficult to actually make a design decision on what is the best what's the best choice. And so one of the cases that we want to talk about is in the case of, let's just say you've actually, uh, you have a robot, it's a care robot that is supposed to provide, you know, assistance with you around the house, uh, bring you drink, bring your medicine, some, uh, that, and provide that type of services. And so, for example, we have Emma who is, um, has a history of being an alcoholic and uh, and they and the Emma and there's a care robot. And Emma asks the care robot, "Can you bring me a drink?" So in this situation, uh, what should a robot? What should a care robot do? Should the robot bring the drink to Emma, or should it not bring the drink to Emma? And so this was another one of the polls that we did, and we wanted to actually discuss it, sort of 
talk about the issue of autonomy and also ownership uh, and and sort of and how that affects how you know how people answer that question. And so when we're looking at two different scenarios, so one of them is that Emma owns a robot, and in the other case, is someone else owns a robot. And interestingly, uh, you know, the, the choices that people made were, were quite different. And so in the case of Emma owns a robot, 22% of the participants said that the robot should never bring the drink. But 44% said that the, you know, the robot should always bring the drink, you know, that's it. And then when, um, when, the, when the robot was owned by somebody else, 53% uh, said that they should never bring and the drink, so to Emma, whereas only 16% said that um, the, the robot should bring. So in terms of, so, so when the robot is owned by Emma, uh, there was a lot more tendency for people to say that yes, you know, um, the, the robot should bring the drink and you know. So we were thinking, okay, is this something just, you know, with, you know, drinking and uh, the history that Emma has, or is it, is it sort of more, uh, more of a, you know, issue that is related to ownership? And so we're looking at a second case where, you know, somebody, Jack is uh, slightly obese and, and also really, you know, likes eating junk food. And so again, in this case, uh, Jack asked the robot to bring some junk food and, um, in this a care robot, so you know it's supposed to bring you food <laughs> when you want food, and so in this case the results were actually very similar. Uh, again, when the uh, the robot was owned by Jack, 45% uh, people said you know they should the, the food should be taken, but when the robot was owned by somebody else, only 16% said again that the food should be taken. And so, an interesting issue. And then then we asked the question is uh, should ownership influence uh, the decision uh, that a care robot makes? And <laughs> there was an interesting split in the sense that 47% said yes and 53% said no. So still quite a bit of a, you know, a line right down the middle in terms of how ownership should specifically affect um, a, a decision that a, robot, a care robot makes. And so some issues that come here is a personal autonomy so you know, clearly, uh, all of us want to want to be able to uh, make decisions and have control of, over uh, what we're doing in our daily lives. And if there's a care robot that is around, uh, we want that to also support that notion and that idea of autonomy and independence and give us more independence rather than take away independence from us. So that's a really important and key issue uh, that came up. And so, um, so people, the, some of the comments that we heard is that. You know, we should be able to make our own priorities and we should be able to make a decision whether we want a junk food or not or like getting, you know, getting a drink or not. Um, and that it, and if, it, if it's my robot, if I own the robot, it should sort of say do what I want, want it to do, basically. Uh, but then the other thing is societal benefits. What is the actual benefit for the patient? Is it actually really good for the patient to get that junk food, to get that drink at that moment? Or is it so in, is that in the grand scheme of things, is it better for it not to receive it? And so that, those are some of the issues that, um, that, that come up when we're talking about, um, you know, care robots and this idea of ownership and autonomy. And so the idea is like, what is, a, you know, what, what is sort of the middle ground? Is it, is it something, some of the participants that, uh, you know, suggested maybe it would be good 
for the person who is getting the care robot to have some say in how the robot is being programmed and how it's being uh, you know developed so that it's something that you feel a more it's something that suits more your needs and your preferences. So basically, you know, we've been talking about a lot of problems. <laughs> There's a lot of problems and a lot of unsolved issues, and and it's interesting. Uh, so the idea that how can we how can we think about solutions, and that's what you know, our, part of our what our group is doing is looking at what are the problems and really sort of like trying to define them by the but the extension of that is to actually develop solutions for them and seeing how we can address them um, with helping companies and also you know raising public awareness and also talking to governments and uh, about these issues so when we're talking about um, how we're going to address these issues. There are, you remember, in engineering, um, there is the code of ethics that engineers have to follow. And then there's professional ethics that engineers have to be really aware of and, uh, um, and, and, and follow. Uh, but then the field that we're in is the technology ethics. And so and we want to make that more interesting in, in, the, in the sense that, you know, it's not just another, like, okay, you know, a very boring topic for them, but that it actually, you know, by the, but using the examples that I've given is that we want to sort of bring that and make that very practical for engineers and sort of uh, bring that to forefront. And so one of the things that we are doing as part of the uh, the development that we're doing in some of the consulting work is that, that we, we're doing with some of the companies is to really help them uh, understand uh, what are the values that their company has um, and what how are those values playing out in the activities that different individuals in the uh, company are doing and the, and how work is being done in that company and then how that's impacted when you bring it in an autonomous uh, you know technology so when you bring in a robot into a work environment or when you uh, when you bring in um, an algorithm that makes you know makes processes automated how does that affect the way people work and so we really help companies you know come up with those values understand how bringing in robots affects their workflow, and then and from that, uh, seeing problems that are specific for that company and for that specific technology, um, and so and with with that in mind, we are looking into uh, different um, solution um, spaces, and so I think you can't see the green one quite clearly, but there are three levels that we're looking into. So that. The sort of the top level is looking at society and community, and so one of the is, uh, initiatives that we've been doing is you know having our polls or having our public opinion polls and basically raising awareness and uh, getting people engaged in this type of discussion and getting to answer these questions and th to think about them. And uh, the second uh, thing that one of the other projects that we've been working on is to look and work with IEEE, uh, which is the Electrical Engineering Association for that creates you know, standards and sets, um, sets the standards and best practices. And so uh, we are involved in developing some of the ethical considerations that need to be uh, uh, accounted for when we're designing robots. Um, the second level is you know, working with uh, companies and so looking at their corporate philosophy. And so for example, seeing like, are they going to be developing uh, autonomous lethal weapons, for example, or if they're going to be incorporating, um, you know, autonomous systems, uh, how are they, for example, going to define transparency? How are they going to 
define autonomy in how when they're incorporating this type of uh, technology. And the, the third one, and the, the, the one that we've talked about most today, is looking at interactions and behaviors and sort of looking at how, you know, they should be designed in the, in the case of the elevator or in the case of the, um, you know, the care robot bringing a drink or food. The whole, um, the main point is that, you know, uh, the robots uh, affect us in many ways. And so, and it is something that uh, we can, and they will, uh, over the next few years, I mean, already with the smart, you know, phones, compared to even a few years ago, uh, we've had so much more of them in, in our daily lives. And then, so with the, with the sort of that trend, uh, we see that uh, there's going to be different ways that robots could help us and actually improve our lives in some ways. Um, and that would come through really good quality interactions. Um, and that we want to make ethics relevant in this topic. And we really want to make it uh, something that is that the drives decisions in companies and um, design design choices as well. Um, and that, you know, it's not some, it's not a topic that's actually, uh, it's a topic that should be discussed now and, and I'm glad that we are discussing it today. So I just wanted to thank all of the different groups that have been sponsoring the work that Ori has been doing. So we've been mainly operating uh, from UBC for the past few years and now we've become an independent institute and uh, so there's the name of the labs and uh, departments that have been supporting us. So thank you so much um, for listening and I will take any questions that you have right now. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.